Hey, thanks so much for joining us at our Red Rocks Church podcast. If you're new here, we're just a bunch of broken, messed up, imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. We hope that this message encourages your heart, builds your faith so that you can say yes to all of the plans and the purposes of God for your life. Enjoy this message. Today, I want to give you five reasons fasting will change your life. Who didn't see that coming, huh? Five reasons fasting will change your life. Now, in my opinion, fasting is the most intimidating of all the spiritual disciplines. This one's kind of like leg day at the gym. You know, I'll do anything else, God, just please. Do not make me do that. I'd rather be 200 pounds of solid upper body muscle with chicken legs than have to do that. You know what I mean? It's so intimidating. I was trying to think why. I think one of the reasons fasting intimidates us is because we wrongly assume when it comes to fasting, you gotta go big or go home. Like, it might, like it's, it's gotta be a 40-day water fast or you might as well not do it. Day one, day two, are you hungry? Well, here's a glass of ice cubes, enjoy, right? Day three, feeling faint? Well, swallow a gust of wind and pray because he is the bread of life, Jason. It's just gotten tense so fast. I think for me, fasting's intimidating because I swear, fasting day for me always happens to be the same day I see 10 commercials or billboards for deep dish pepperoni pizza every time. Or it's the day Sam and I go shopping at Costco. And of course, it just happens to be the greatest hits of all the free samples. And I'm just by this point, just so delirious and hangry. I find myself saying like, get behind me, Satan, to the sweetest Costco ladies in the world. I don't really do that. Calm down. I'm kidding. But being hangry, you'll do and say some stuff, man. You get delirious. I'm so hungry. Get behind me in public, you know. Pastor Doug? No, it's not me. I don't know the man. Just denying myself in Costco. You get delirious. It's right around the point where top ramen actually starts to look like real ramen and kale starts to look like lettuce, you know? It's, <laughs> it's intimidating and challenging. And because of that, we either get super legalistic and then miss the point altogether or we get lazy and lenient in the mental gymnastics of justification start to trickle in, like you do a, a liquid fast and the line between juice and smoothie gets dangerously blurred. What is stopping me from taking that deep dish pizza, putting it in the blender and drinking it? Like, this still counts, right? Are you not entertained, God? Does this still work, you know? <laughs> Like what's, I have so many stories of fasting failures. The first time I ever tried fasting was in college. I was about a year into following Jesus and one well-meaning but very serious Christian told me, you're supposed to fast. And he wasn't, uh, he wasn't a fun Christian. Oh, they're out there. Um, he said, you're supposed to fast. And so I woke up the next morning and I was like, okay, I guess I just won't eat today. And by dinner time that day, I was so desperate. This is a true story that I hid in the pantry of our college house for 10 minutes and just poured steak seasoning onto my hand, the palm of my hand and licked it. Just thinking, I need to taste something. Why is this my life right now? And where is Jesus in this? Like, what am I doing? I'm supposed to be praying, but I can't chew any more gum. I've, I've already brushed my teeth 10 times today just to swallow the toothpaste. At what point am I missing the point completely? Fasting brings with it the intimidation factor. 
and the legalistic factor, it's my goal today to get rid of both. I could just as easily give you five reasons not to fast. Who wishes I was preaching that? (laughs) We don't have to fast to atone for sin or to get God to love us. We get to fast because he already did and he already does. We do not fast to magically manipulate the God of the universe into doing what we want him to do like he's a cosmic vending machine. I'll take D7 today, God. I'll take D7. Pastor, just give me the, uh, the fasting code for D7, please. Are you ready? There's not one. There's not. You do not put God into your debt by not eating. God, I skipped my afternoon snack. You owe me a wife. No. He is way more interested in who you're becoming than in what you're giving up. This is not religion. This is relationship in church. Everything for me about fasting changed when obligation gave way to invitation. And my sincere prayer is that for you, that would happen today and lead you into a discipline and a gift that I believe will change your faith and your life. The most basic definition for fasting I came up with is this. Fasting, going without what you want to access what you need. Now, usually that's going without food for a meal or a day or going without types of food for a week or a season. But honestly, it could be going without anything you want in order to access what you need. So TV, social media, shopping, complaining. Oh, I'm coming for you. A victim mentality. I'm so serious. I have five reasons fasting will change your life. Are you ready? All right. I believe you. Reason number one. Here we go. Because fasting realigns your soul. In John's third letter, he says this. Beloved. Oh, just already. So sweet. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health, period. Oh, wait, no, Logan, comma, as it goes well with your soul. So he's saying, hey, I pray you're in good health and I hope your bank account's crushing it and I hope the family's great and the job's good, but only as it goes well with your soul, because you can gain all of that. Jesus said something about gaining the whole world, but forfeiting your soul. It's a terrible trade every time. So I hope everything's going well with you, comma, as it goes well with your soul. This verse speaks to living with the proper alignment from the inside out. First Thessalonians 5, starting in 23. May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together, notice the order, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. So notice the order, spirit, soul, body. And as you're noticing this order, let me remind you the divine order of the Bible is divine, okay? So spirit, that is the Greek word pneuma. You nerds are gonna love me for about two minutes, okay? The Greek word pneuma, which means the breath of God, the spirit of God. 
And in case you're wondering, this is in fact synonymous with the Old Testament Hebrew word ruach that you will find all the way back in the very beginning when God formed the man out of the dust and the dirt and Adam was there and he looked like Adam, lips, hips, and fingertips. His form was there, but he was lifeless until God breathed his breath into him. And by the way, you breathe on average of 20,000 times a day, each one of those breaths a reminder of the God who gave it. So, ruach or pneuma, Hebrew or Greek, you pick your poison, okay? This is the breath of God that, like Adam, animates the rest of you, animates your body over there on the right. That's the Greek word soma, a.k.a. your flesh, your skin, your muscles, and your bones. And then in between the two is this word soul, the Greek word suke which basically is your character, your substance, or your personhood. Now, most scholars would just argue the word for soul is kind of this all-encompassing word that includes all of what you see up there, starting with your spirit, to your heart, to your mind, to the very body you're walking around in, and God, catch this, Put your soul together in that specific order. Now, whether you followed any of that or not, all you need to know is this. We are designed to live from the inside out, okay? So remember that verse, deep calls to deep, that all of us love, but if we're honest, none of us have any idea what it means. (laughs) Deep calls to deep, deep, I love that verse. Oh, where is that? I don't know, but... That's my next tattoo. What does it mean? I don't know, but I love it. Deep calls to, okay, think about deep calls to deep now in in regards to this divine ordering. The deepest part of me, my spirit, calls out to the depths of God. Ephesians chapter three, Paul's prayer for you is, oh, that you would come to know, not intellectually, not because you read a book, but come to know by experience how deep God's love is for you. Like an ocean, deep calls out to deep and vice versa. By the way, this is how you know there's more out there. Even if you're not into this whole Jesus thing, we find ourselves having moments maybe in front of an ocean or camping beneath the stars or in a heart to heart late at night where we say stuff like, I just know there has to be more going on. Do you ever wonder why you know that's true? The spirit of God in you knows and senses its true home is with the God who made you and gave it to you. This is why, by the way, you feel so good when you engage in worship in here. It's not, it's not lights and screens and, and sounds or a performance or a concert. Those are simply creative means to the something more. Your soul, suke, your substance is experiencing God because you are living and breathing and worshiping from the inside out and from your depths. Your spirit is coming alive and going, woo, like I feel like I'm home right now. Deep calls out to deep. So I wanna submit to you that maybe the reason you feel off, if you do, you listen to NSYNC and you go, I do not feel like the name of this boy band, right? I'm out of sync, I'm off. The reason, this was, this was such a good point and I just sabotaged it with a dad joke. Worth it. The reason you might feel off is because you're not living from this divine order, 
Follow me. The world's pattern, one of them, is to live from the outside in. It just makes sense. But when you realign your soul and live from the inside out, your spirit comes home, deep calls to deep, and you find yourself walking in the rhythms of grace with God as the source, starting with your spirit and animating the rest of your life. Does this make sense? Now, this is where fasting comes in. Fasting is the realignment of your spirit and body. By denying your flesh something it wants, you awaken and strengthen your spirit to be the leading agent of your soul. And rather than living for what your body wants, you live from what your spirit needs, okay? Fasting realigns your soul. And that's key for reason number two, which is this. Fasting taps you into the power to resist temptation. Fasting taps you into the power to resist temptation. I can, I, the most powerful story of resisting temptation or fasting in the entire Bible has to be Matthew, Matthew chapter four, where Jesus is led by the spirit into the wilderness to fast from food and water for 40 days. One of my favorite parts about that chapter is uh, Matthew in his gospel. He says, and at the end of that, he was hungry. <laughs> and I go, oh yeah? Like, thanks, Maddie, for including that in your gospel. I, I would never have guessed that Jesus was, in fact, hungry after not eating or drinking for 40 days. And that is when Satan comes to tempt him. Now, I used to read that and go, what a cheap shot. What a low blow that Satan would come in when Jesus is at his weakest. However... The opposite is actually true. He was physically weaker than he's ever been, but Jesus was stronger spiritually than he ever was in his life. Why? Because his soul was in perfect alignment, okay? Now, let me say this to you. This is so key. The power of fasting is not in fasting. And the danger of a topic like this is that you walk out of here with a principle, but you miss a person, Christianity is not a collection of principles. Church is not a self-help seminar. This is not a concert with a TED Talk. Can I just say to you, there are so many better teachers and venues out there for that. This is a church dedicated to telling the story of Jesus. Fasting is not the power. Fasting is a fast track to the person who walked out of his grave and then claimed all power and authority in the entire universe now belongs to me. And I am telling you, as your body is weakened and your spirit is strengthened by a person, you find yourself conquering temptations you used to bow down to. Didn't Jesus once say to his disciples, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Is weak. Here's that same verse in the message. I love this. Stay alert and be in prayer so you don't wander into temptation without even knowing that you're in danger. There's a part of you, your spirit, that is eager and ready and willing for anything in God, but there's another part of you, your flesh, that's as lazy as an old dog sleeping by the fire. My three-year-old is so picky when it comes to food. And I don't know where he gets this because Weckenmans are eaters, okay? So I do breakfast with Will every morning and I'm this guy's personal chef, man. And here's what used to happen. I would, I'd make him cinnamon toast. I make a mean cinnamon toast. 
And then he'd say, Dad, I don't want cinnamon toast, I want Cheerios. Now what I used to do is I'd eat the toast, because I don't care, then I'd make him Cheerios. But then what he'd do is he'd say, Dad, I'm not eating this unless you sprinkle Lucky Charms over the Cheerios. That he does get from me. And I used to, I used to just say, fine, buddy, whatever's gonna make my morning easiest, right? I don't care. But I don't do that anymore. And do you wanna know why? It's because my three-year-old is not in charge of breakfast. I'm in charge of breakfast. Too many of us let our flesh call the shots like a toddler with a temper. Give me some sugar or I'll scream, right? I want what I want. If I want it, I want it. I don't care if it's bad for me. If I want it, then I want it. I want it. I want to stay up late, right? I want pornography. I want a one-night stand. I want to spend money I don't have. I want another bottle of pills, right? I want God made in my image. I don't want that to be wrong. I want to be lazy. I want to, I want to sleep in. I don't want to exercise. I don't want to work out. I don't care if it's bad for me. Your flesh does not have the ability to do something called delayed gratification. Does not have, like a lazy dog sleeping by the fire. The flesh is weak. Now follow me. Fasting dethrones king flesh. Does that make sense? Fasting dethrones king flesh. You deny your flesh and your spirit strengthens and steps up and says, I'm the captain now. I am now in charge. And just like Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, you start tapping into this power from a person, from God, animating your spirit from the inside out, and you find yourself way more often saying yes to the stuff you should say yes to and saying no to the things you should say no to. Fasting taps you into the power to resist temptation and conquer the mountains that you could not before. Not from legalism to make God love you more, but from a deep desire already in you to live a life worthy of the gospel that you've already freely received, amen? So if you feel like you lack control over yourself, you know you're the hardest person for you to lead, right? Can I tell you that's what fasting is here for? Not for God, for you. The same power, Christian, that conquered the grave lives in you, and though your flesh might be weak, I'm telling you, your spirit is willing and eager and ready for anything in God, and this God has plans for you. Oh, he has a calling on your life. Like Hebrews 12 would say, God has, has marked out a race for you to run. He has. And our friend Levi Lusco once said this, the key to going fast in that race, the key to going fast is fasting, which paradoxically involves slowing. But ask any professional race car driver if you know one, and they'll tell you the key to going fast is knowing how to use the brakes. Fasting is braking. By braking going into a turn, it readies and prepares you to accelerate coming out of that turn. When God is getting ready to speed you up, it will always first feel like he is slowing you down. Do not be fooled. Jesus started his calling 
his ministry right after his season of fasting, which leads me to tell you this. If you're, if you're feeling something while I'm saying something, and you're sensing that God might be leading you into a season of fasting or more intentionality in your pursuit and connection with him, it's probably because he's got something waiting for you on the other side of this turn, okay? Which brings me to reason number three. Fasting gets you ready. In Matthew 17, Jesus' disciples met a man whose son is demon-possessed so badly. Picture how horrible this is. His son, demon-possessed so badly, daily seizures. When he'd see fires, he'd throw himself into the fire. He'd pitch himself into rivers. I mean, you wanna talk about the exact opposite of the kingdom of heaven. And as hard as they tried, the disciples couldn't cast it out. They couldn't do anything about it. But then Jesus shows up and he takes care of business like Jesus does. And then verse 19 says, later, the disciples came to Jesus in private and they asked him, why couldn't we drive it out? Why couldn't we drive it out? Why couldn't we, why can't I get past this? Why does it seem like breakthrough is just out of reach, right? Why can't we, why can't I, you fill in the blank. And Jesus responded by saying this. He said, some things only happen by prayer and fasting. Fasting gets you ready because fasting gives you spiritual authority. It's when you have the food and you have the money and you have the means, and absolutely you could, yet your soul says, nope. You know how empowering that is for your spirit? How much spiritual authority that generates in your soul? What is spiritual authority? Simply put, spiritual authority is the ability to bring the kingdom of heaven to places and spaces where it currently is not. So Jesus brought the kingdom into that little boy's body and the demon fled. Did it argue with him? No. And before you say, well, that was Jesus, let me say to you, Jesus said that through him, we would do greater things than him. Does anybody believe that verse, by the way? Okay, good. That's one of those we just fly by. So in 2011, my best friend Ethan and I I run the, uh, the Austin location with him now. We were youth pastors in Laguna Beach. And that was the season we, uh, we started fasting. Every single Wednesday, we fasted. And um, it was so hard, man. <laughs> it was so challenging. But you wanna know what I realized? I realized this. I can do spiritually challenging stuff. And so can you. And you need, you need to get out of your head that this is for those people that this is for pastors and missionaries or the spiritually elite, whatever the heck that means, you can do spiritually challenging things. You can, okay? Now, I don't, uh, I don't normally tell demon stories, but since it was just Halloween, I got one for you. Balancing statement, don't panic. This is the PG version, okay? And also, another balancing statement, we're not demon hunters. We don't give evil a platform. I think a lot of us need to hear this, actually. The Bible says, flee from Satan. Fix your focus on things above. 
yet at the same time, this is real. And when darkness presents itself where it shouldn't be, we're not afraid to tell it what to do and where to go in the name of, of Jesus, right? So it was Wednesday night, and we were on our way home from a youth event in Laguna, and our neighbor, who struggled with a generational demonic spirit of alcoholism for most of his life, was waiting for us in our house. And you could feel it, man. The closer we got, I'm telling you, it just tangible darkness and this oppressive heaviness and how many of you are paying attention in church for the first time right now? <laughs> Every step you take up to the front door realizing something's about to go down. And all I could think was, I'm so happy it's Wednesday. Fasting day. Because fasting gets you ready. And when you're already ready, you don't gotta get ready. And that night, in Jesus' name, that spirit left our neighbor. There was no showdown. There was no argument. Spiritual authority is the ability, the cultivated, generated ability to bring the kingdom of heaven to places and spaces and people where it currently is not. I'm telling you, church, fasting might just be the difference between a breakdown and a breakthrough. That fasting sometimes is the difference between why couldn't we cast it out and what took place in Laguna Beach that night. That fasting might just be the difference between ordinary and extraordinary in your life. That fasting could just be the difference between almost and already. And can I just tell you how much I hate the word almost? I almost prayed for you. I almost sacrificed. I almost reached out. I almost invited. I almost got baptized. We almost had a church that changed our city. You guys, people are hurting and dying because of that word. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't almost die for us? I don't want to be part of an almost church. Paul said the days are dark, so make the most of every moment and be ready for every opportunity that might present itself to bring the kingdom of heaven to places where it's currently not. Fasting makes you ready, amen? Okay. Woo, this altitude is getting me, guys. Number four. Fasting gives you real rest. Jesus said some good stuff. He did, but I think some of his best stuff is Matthew 11. Here it is in the message. Eugene Peterson's translation. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. And I'll show you how to take a Real rest. So if Jesus is offering real rest, then that means there must be such thing as fake rest. When you go on a vacation, you come back and you're more tired than before you left. Has this ever happened to you? It happened to me last week. You get home from vacation, just, whew, your friends are like, how was vacation? What? <laughs> your rest, how was it? Oh God, <laughs> it was exhausting. <laughs> I'll show you how to take a real rest. Because you can leave the restlessness. It's another thing to get the restlessness to leave you. Hey, did you know God required, he required Israel to Sabbath one day a week? By the way, this invitation is still on the table. You know what Sabbathing is? It's fasting. Fasting from being a human doing 
to remind yourself that you're a human being and not God. And as cheesy as that sounds, it is so almost nearly impossible for us, which speaks to me how probably important and life-changing it would be if we said yes to Jesus's invitation to fast from doing and producing by resting once a week. You know why that would change your life? Because when you rest, you remember God does not. So follow me, a restless soul, hey, hello, a restless soul believes, regardless of what I say or sing, the way I live, I show that what I really believe is I am the determiner of my, the determiner of my destiny. And if I'm gonna get there, it's gonna be because I got myself there. So I can't stop. And I can't slow down and I can't fall behind. And that's why resting is actually a brave act of trusting that God is sovereign and never sleeps nor slumbers. Because when you stop going, you find out firsthand the earth keeps spinning and God still works. And that, my friend, is where real rest is found. So here's my challenge, one of them. Fast from your phone for two hours a day while you're awake. <laughs> if you already found that loophole, this is, you, this is your challenge, okay? <laughs> while you're awake, you touch it 2,600 times a day. At the end of your life, you will have logged nine years staring at that screen. We are now available to everyone and present with almost no one, including God, being discipled by a Silicon Valley algorithm more than Jesus. I, uh, I'm doing my absolute best, I'm getting better at it, to put my phone away from the moment I get home from work until after my kids go to bed. Um, I got this from my, my friend, my, my coworker, Ethan, who said he doesn't, want his, he doesn't want his kid to grow up thinking his dad looks like this. Yeah, that hit me said he had a nightmare of his son finding his phone and just like pounding it and destroying it. That got me. So maybe try going without what you want. See, the reason we, we do this so much is because it almost works. And it's really hard to stop doing something that almost works. But fasting is going without what you want in order to access what you actually need. Last month... Um, this is a true story, true story. Two men were stranded at sea for 29 days in the South Pacific. 29 days. They barely survived on coconuts they found floating in the ocean. When they were finally rescued, they were interviewed and one of the guys said, and I quote, yeah, it was kind of a nice break from everything. I'm so serious. That so speaks to the condition of our world, does it not? Being lost at sea was a nice break. Yeah. Said from constant COVID updates and this never-ending, unceasing influx of, of news and opinions and information. By the way, this is where that trust kicks back in. 
This is where trust is actually brave. And this is where it kicks back in because I think you should be informed about everything happening. I think, I think as followers of Jesus, we're called to be informed. So hear my heart. I'm not trying to swing the pendulum clear to the other side and overcorrect, but make no mistake, I am trying to correct, okay? I don't think you need to know absolutely every last bit of opinions and information that's out there in the world. I think the biggest reason we listen to it and we, we, we have a constant influx and we let it in is way less so we can do something about it and way more because it gives us a shock factor dopamine hit. Like we're kids in an information candy store just because it's everywhere doesn't mean you need all of it, okay? You wanna know why? Because God knows everything that's happening and God can actually do something about it and store it and hold all of that, and you were never designed or asked to do that. Like, I wonder if your soul is restless because it's aware of every reason around the globe that it should be. This is so profound, are you ready? I wonder if you'd worry less if you had less to worry about. Jesus is saying, oh, come away with me. Let me be God. I'm good at it. Take a real rest, amen? Sabbath thing, putting your phone away. If that reason speaks to you, by the way, I recommend a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Go track that down. Okay, final reason, reason number five, because fasting eventually leads to joy. I heard Tyler Staten, lead pastor of Bridgetown Church, say this, fasting starts in renunciation, but eventually it finishes in joy. And real joy, by the way, needs no help. And so when I take away the medication called carbs, or shopping to cure my boredom, or a bit of alcohol, a few drinks to relieve the pressures of life, or TV on in the background to fill the silence, and by the way, all good things, or at least neutral things, but when I take them away, I tap into the better thing. Song of Songs, one, two. For your love, God, is more delightful than wine. So let's talk wine. I know we're so edgy at Red Rocks. Let's talk wine. There's a difference between a bottle of 2015 Silver Oak Cabernet and a $6 bottle of red blend that, or a $6 red blend that comes in a box. Like we all agree, there's a difference between those two things. Now, the box can still be good, man, but it's not silver oak. Keep following me. The simple pleasures of life are good. They are. The common graces of life are good and a gift, but they're not God. And we just have so many of them. <laughs> in infinite quantity available to us now. In the US of A in 2021, in ways that generations before us or other nations can't even fathom or imagine is the quantity of simple pleasures that we have available to us all the time. And over time, they start to hijack your taste buds and dull your palate until all you start to crave is the cheap stuff. Keep following me. Sommeliers take a sip of wine because they've trained for years and, and they get hints of cranberry and earth tones and oak and most of us take a sip of the same wine and go, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting wine. <laughs> like Michael Scott would say, um, that's a red. 
that's a red. To quote Tyler Staten again, I love this quote. God's love is like the finest wine, and because of that, it goes unappreciated on most palates. So quick exercise, when I read this to you, just some lyrics that we're about to sing. I'm caught up in your presence. I just wanna sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment, and I never want to leave. When you hear those lyrics, does that do something for your soul? Do they incite joy? And if not, that's so okay. I'm just saying it might be time to take your taste buds back and take your palate back for the better things and the deeper things, the things of heaven. Because over time, we trade in the pure joy found in God. We trade that in for shadows and escapes. And here's why we do it. Once again, we do it because they almost work. They almost work. And it's so challenging to stop doing something that almost works for you. So in Disney Pixar's Finding Dory, I love this movie. The whale tank at the aquarium in California has a glass wall that goes right up to the ocean. Goes right up to the ocean. We have so many simple pleasures that we want, our flesh craves, the cheaper stuff, the boxed wine. It's all available to us and all of those things get us right up to the glass. It almost works, but it's not the ocean. So close yet so far. So here's where fasting comes in. When you deny yourself the simple pleasures that almost work, whether it's lunch for a day or TV for a week or shopping for a month, you begin to move beyond the glass for the first time ever and tap into the real thing, which church is why fasting is less about starving the flesh and more about your soul and spirit feasting on the deeper things of heaven, namely joy that it always eventually leads to. Amen? So you have a communion cup on your chair. I want you to get this out. And go ahead and take out the, uh, the bread, the wafer. I want to invite anybody to do this. Alicia Britt Cole said, fasting is about thinning our lives in order to thicken our communion with God, our communion with God. So this is a meal, by the way, you'll never be able to afford, but that is yours for free. Anytime you need it, do not forget to remember that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took some bread and broke it, handed it to his best friends, and said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat. Red Rocks, as you, as you do, I want you to imagine the bread nourishing not your body, but your spirit from the inside out, deep calls to deep. And then Jesus took some wine. He said, this is my blood that's about to trickle down a cross for six hours. By my stripes, you are healed. Atonement is found in my blood, my perfect blood that is now yours simply just by faith. This is called grace, yours for the rest of your life. 
just by simply receiving me. He said, take and drink. And once again, imagining it, imagining it, nourishing not your body, but your spirit from the inside out. And just picture Jesus about to go into this. He's about to leave this dinner and head to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would sweat literal blood in anticipation of what was waiting for him. And make no mistake, he's not afraid to die or even physical pain. Jesus is talking about this cup that he's about to drink. The wrath of God do all sin, past, present, and future for every soul that calls on the name of Jesus is about to be poured out on him and satisfied in one moment. That sort of pressure and if Jesus isn't a reminder that every crucifixion is followed by a resurrection, then I do not know what is. That, by the way, every fast begins in renunciation, but eventually leads to joy. And it was the joy set before him that allowed him to endure the renunciation, the pain that was right in front of him. And he'd do it all again if it was just for you. Fasting takes us to the deeper things, the better things, thinning out our lives to thicken our communion with God. And for those reasons, the fact that it realigns your soul, the fact that it taps you into the power to resist temptation, the fact that it gets you ready, and when you're already ready, you don't gotta get ready, the fact that it gives you a real rest and a real restart, the fact that it eventually leads to joy, for those reasons, I believe fasting will change your life. This is not a discipline that is for God. This is for you to use, to begin to move beyond the glass, beyond the space with all the simple pleasures and common graces that are awesome, but that almost work, but not quite. You move beyond that into the real thing the only eternal solution for this space the size of forever that is in your heart. And when you have that, then all the gifts and all the simple pleasures are house money because I've got the one thing that I need, amen? Red Rocks, will you stand every location? Jesus, right now, we don't miss these moments. We shut out distraction on purpose. I believe you've already spoken to, you've already spoken something specific to every individual person beneath the sound of my voice right now. And those are seeds that just got planted, but they're nothing unless you, you cultivate it and you water it and, and you make it grow and turn into something eternal. I pray right now as we worship and praise you that you would do just that. This wouldn't be seed that gets snatched away the moment we walk out of church or close our laptops or turn the TV off today. But something would take and something would change us forever. Right now, as we just are caught up in your presence, we just wanna sit here with you. Move us beyond the glass into the ocean of your love that we might come to know it by experience. In Jesus' name, amen.